Welcome to the Loco Parentis podcast, a fostering and adoption podcast featuring former cared for children and adoptees. Hosted by me, Tuana May, a former cared for child and adoptee. And this week I have with me Dr. Sylvia Baker. Hello. Um, we met a while ago when we were on a panel talking about transracial fostering adoption. Mm-hmm. Um, why were you there? I think I was there because my research at the moment has been working with care experiencing people. Yeah. And we've been working with a, a work with a range of researchers, but what's key to the to the work itself is when you when people talk about care, sometimes young people in care are kind of fetishized, you know, they're kind of the problem or the um the subject of the research. And what we do with this piece of work which is called the ver the verbatim formula is that we invite the young people who are part of it, either currently in care or fairly recently uh, left care within the last five or ten years. They're the researchers. Yeah. We call them care experience because their experience is expertise, is skill. And by inviting them to navigate what's going on, we kind of hope that um, the conversations that uh, the research trigger are well informed and bring everyone to the table because the aim is to feedback on the care system so that it can be improved to the to the highest degree and so who do you who's who's the who's the audience for that work the audience for that work is both people with experience of care either as the adult professionals who administer it or because they were in the system but also everybody there's a, a really surprising thing that came out of the research when we started it a lot of young people in the care system don't feel the need, and why should they, to disclose their care experience. In fact, they invest a lot of energy in covering up the fact that they're in care. Mm. And when we get underneath that, we talk about, well, what do you think people who haven't been in care think about care? And the thing that shocked me is, you know, today, 21st century, people still talk about Tracy Beaker. Yeah. Or... If they're more literary, they talk about things like Bleak House and people being wards of court and all of this. Mm. And I found that really surprising, mm. that the big narratives that are out about care are A, old, and are sort of locked up around stereotypical images of the system. So the whole idea of the, the verbatim formula is to offer young people what they do is they uh, are given recording devices, smartphones and the like, and they record each other, they interview each other. And then we take those recordings, testimonies, and the young people select elements of them to share. And they share them by playing them into their ears and headphones and then saying what they can hear. And that is performed to a range of audiences, the general public, uh, adult professionals and stakeholders around care. And the question tends to be always the same. Having heard these stories that aren't traumatic, but are versed in an experience of the system. Having heard these stories, how do we make the system the best it can be? And what shocked us is this idea of like, it's not like Tracy Beaker. And the other thing was when we shared these stories with, um, you know, fairly battle scarred social workers who've been around the block a number of times and have probably heard stories that would, you would consider to be traumatic. They weren't laissez-faire or sanguine about what they heard. They were really moved. 
Mm. There's something about the the emotion, the affect of hearing a testimony that you know is not the story of the person who's saying it. Yeah. There's something about that which allows you to listen to that story. And in listening to that story, testimony, accounts, call it what you will, it makes you, it invites you rather than judges you. It invites you to engage with what's going on differently. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking to, um, we talk, talking to some friends the other day when I went out for dinner and we were talking about, we were talking about adoption, but we were talking about kind of the idea of adoption, but also children in care and how people sort of have this image of like children in care need to be adopted because for them to be in care, that's dreadful. And I'm like, but you don't know what care is all about. And when when I hear people sort of, and sometimes I think people are saying that to shut you down because they're like, they don't, but they don't understand what adoption is and they don't understand what care is, either, either of those things. But they're like, they have those ideas that care is awful. Like you being, well, obviously something dreadful has happened to you, which means you are no longer with your birth family. And therefore that needs to just be solved by placing you with just a loving family who can love you because you're birth family obviously don't mm. which is why you're in care mm. and also this whole thing of like kids are languishing in care like i'm like care is so different for for everybody it's such a different thing i'm like if you went into care when you're three and you can't go back to your birth family that's one thing but if you go into care when you're 12 you're not going to be adopted that's mm. do you know what i mean but people don't realize that ch- children like go into care at different ages and mm. there's different you know, sometimes kids are just going to care for like six months because something's happened. Do you know what I mean? And it's just, but then they'll return home and they don't, you don't have the idea of. I think it's incredibly complicated. Yeah. You know, there is a reason why at the moment there are what, nearly 72,000 people in care. Yeah. So there's something in a bigger societal structure which is not working, it's mm. dysfunctioning. So people are ending up in care. I went into care when I was 11 days old. Right. Um, my mother died in childbirth with me, so I was in hospital once I was stabilised. I was then placed with a foster family. I think, was it someone Mark Twain says about good memories are written on white paper and white ink. So the story, if there are positive stories about care, and there are lots, mm. people don't get to hear them. Mm. So the thing that draws attention, the thing which is, you know, located around drama tends to be trauma yeah so most of the stories that we hear are about you know and i don't know what the proportions are but are about people who are languishing in care mm. and or are about where the system isn't working mm. and system on it's on lots of levels the system isn't working yeah but what that then does is that obscures everything else so i think what would be important to me right now would be thinking about how to how to share with a wider public what it feels like to be in care. Mm. Because when we do the research with young people with care experience, what they tell us could lead to policy, policy change. Mm. But that's related to, but different to, what they're telling us about how it feels to be in care. Um, narratives I hear lots of, lots of times are about, you know, you've just mentioned it, there's no love in the system. Mm. And what, what I find really interesting is um, the number of people, 
either in the public eye or not, who talk about, well, when I was in care or before I left care, I just kind of wanted to be hugged. Mm. And I get that, and you kind of understand why. And what I find interesting is when you sort of relay that back to some social workers, they immediately go, oh, yeah, but like we can't hug people because that's a safeguarding issue, whatever, whatever. You go, yeah, I get that. But what you might be missing in jumping to that conclusion is if there's a lack in the system, it's in how care manifests. I think I was really fortunate going into care in the 60s, mid-60s. Some of the systems were in place, but the way in which they they were administered allowed for a little bit of um, judgment from social workers. Yeah. So I hear accounts of modern accounts of foster carers having to read to the child that's in their care downstairs because they're not allowed to sit on the bed of that child and read to them in bed. So they read to the child downstairs, they go upstairs to their biological relatives and read to them. Mm. And it's the impact of that that does something for young people who are in care. So there's definitely a, a theme or a series of things that agitate when you tell someone that you've got care experience, yeah. particularly if they've got care experience too, Yeah, that is in the research that I do. A lot of the people in the research team have an experience of care, not all of them. Some of them have experience of adoption and other kinds of social relationships. But what we found is when we carefully and respectfully disclose that information to young people who don't always have control over their information. Yeah. What they understand is that we have a window on this world, mm. which is different for everybody. You know, you can go into care in the same authority at the same time, sometimes even to the same family and have a different experience. Yeah. But you have an experience. And I think what the young people we work with get from us is that we have an experience that is akin to theirs. Yeah. So that's what we do. Yeah. It's nice though having, because like we just just before we started recording, we talk, I just sort of said I wanted to talk to you about the same thing, even though we've had a complete but a completely different experience mm. of mm. that same thing. But we also are part of a small in in relation to the rest of the population, a small group of people who were involved in this mm. quite unique way of. Quite a unique childhood. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, but you, I think the only kids who I knew, because I was te- I was technically in in care just before I was fifteen. Mm-hmm. So from three, no, two, two to just before I got, because then we got adopted quite late. Right. So I was adopted when I was fourteen, but it was like six weeks away from my fifteenth birthday. Right. My older, my older, like we'd been with our mum since we were three. And so she just eventually fostered us initially and then ended up adopting us. And, but they were, we had family friends, but there's only very few people who I knew at that time who'd been in care. Like you did, and we didn't, like when I went to secondary school, when no one knew me, like I didn't mention it at all. I'm like, I'm not having, I can't deal with this. It's just, people are just like, oh, this is like Oliver Twist. You're like, no, it's not like Oliver Twist. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And like we're doing fundraising for like um like Bernardo's like when the school used to do like sponsored walk or something like Twana, we're raising money for your lot. I'm like, not Bernardo's child. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do not live in Bernardo's home. Mm-hmm. They have nothing to do with Bernardo's. Mm-hmm. I've got a foster. Yeah. They're like, I'm like, 
So this was before Tracy Beaker, do you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 totally. So, but still, that's one, yeah, I never watched Tracy Beaker. It was family like, I don't know. Yeah. It, it was before my, it was after my time. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, so I, I went into care in 66, and I went to a foster family, and I was the first child that they fostered. But over my life in care with them, and I was with that family, who were a white family, I'm black yeah. and they were a white family. Um, they fostered about 40 other young people yeah. across my life. Yeah. How long were you with them for? I was with them all of that really? time. Yeah. Yeah. I was fostered. It was complicated. My biological father was around. He couldn't cope, which is one of the reasons why I went into care. Yeah. But I don't, I still don't know where the sensitivity sat, but there was a sensitivity probably between my social workers or the authority about having me adopt. Yeah. Um, but I stayed with the stayed with that foster family. Yeah. So what was interesting is obviously they're white, so they come to pick me up at the school gate. Mm. There's a disconnect straight yeah. away. In fact, play dates were always hysterical because I'd be playing with my mates. They knew me. Then my mates would come to my house for tea, and then their parents and carers would come and pick them up. And the, the doorbell would ring, and my foster parents, my parents would answer the door, and you'd see that. So that look in the eye. But, yeah. But, but, and then that gear shift. Yeah. That tape, yeah. Which I. Secretly found hysterical, yeah. And so did they, as my yeah. friends. So, so I think a lot of the, the the people I was around who had experience of care were being fostered by the same people. But yeah, um, in school it was never spoken about. I didn't get the Oliver Twist questions. Tracy Beaker didn't exist then. Mm. Um, but people knew that something was up because my quote unquote parents were not the same colour as mm. me. So something must have happened. Yeah. But what I didn't experience um, directly, but what I hear about from uh, a lot of the young people we speak to, is that that ness, that something happened ness. Mm. Did you do something mm. that meant that you are in care? Did you mess it up? And or are your birth parents bad? Yeah. Because you're in care. Yeah. So something must have happened. Mm. And I think that's one of those places where a lot of the complexity around this vanishes. It mm. becomes, um, or it can become a series of moralistic statements. Your parents were bad. Yeah. Something horrible must have happened. So you are in care now. And the other end of that transaction is, so you should be grateful. Yeah. And that's difficult. Mm. Being um, located in a position where you should be giving thanks, or there's a slight under-influence that you're a problem, I think is one of those things that chimes through a lot of people's experience of care, even when they're really varied. Mm. I um, learned a lot about the tricks one needs to use to um, avoid those questions. Not necessarily to fit in, not necessarily to assimilate, but to just take the heat off you, throw your own shade on yourself so people don't go, what happened? Why? Mm. Just get yeah. around it. And whenever I speak to other people with care experience, I, I sense that. Because a lot of them have had to do it. Yeah. Keep, I found that um, I'm very good at keeping, I suppose, like secrets. Yeah. Like just <laughs> also, you know, when people just sort of, ask you questions about yourself and how you can just be like, I'm going to answer it, but I'm also just going to 
slightly lead you away from asking the next question because I know where it's going and I can't, I'm not going to answer that and I don't want you to, I can see what you're doing. Just And you get, and I find that I've spoken to various people who have experience of adoption and care and we're all very good at that. Yeah. So good. Yeah. So good. Really, really adept at deflecting it, isn't it? Mm. It's like that thing when someone goes, how are you? And you go, I'm great, thanks. How are you? And you set that up in such a way that they talk more. Yeah. Which means you don't have to tell about yourself. Yeah. 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 A lot of young people I've met are brilliant at that. Yeah. Because just... It's just to protect yourself. Yeah. I don't know. You are compelled to tell your story to the authorities yeah. over and over and over mm. again. So why, why tell it socially? Yeah. And, and it's documented as well yeah. to the authority. Yeah. And so I applied for my files. I'm like 52. I applied for my files last year. Yeah. In care, 18 years. Mm. Um, my journey through care, not particularly turbulent, mm. right? Still had a sickening feeling in my gut about yeah. my file. Yeah. Got my file. Knowing about people like, you know, Lemsa Sabre versus three big thick folders yeah. are, are his file my file was eight pages really yeah okay and of those eight pages there were a couple of duplications and what's even more frustrating stroke hysterical is some of the information that was captured were letters that my foster mum wrote to the authorities mm. that i was present at when mm. they were being written yet everyone's name is redacted yeah but it's oh, ridiculous right. it's ridiculous i, I recognize her handwriting it's talking about doctors why, why, why is stuff redacted i don't know i don't know but like the address where we lived is redacted. Yeah. Her name is redacted. The doctor's name is redacted. I was there. That's weird. Because I'm trying to find out. Look, because I so um, a friend of mine, Sophie Willen. Yeah. Who, yeah. And I interviewed her for this podcast as well. And she did her show in Edinburgh a couple of years ago about about um, being handed her files on a train station, and seeing her files in like kind of photos on a screen on the stage of her it was the first time I'd seen files, mm-hmm. the first time I'd had any idea of what mm-hmm. a foster, what was in a fostering file. Mm-hmm. And seeing so there's like stuff from school in there, doctors, just all this kind of stuff has just made me kind of think about what's in my file. Cause I've not seen mine. And at this stage in life I probably won't. Because one year I just have to it's just that's the thing. The thing that I think is upsetting, well, I'm not going to say traumatic because the word is thrown around yeah. glibly, but the thing that's upsetting about it is what you do know mm. is there is a file. Yeah, yeah. What you do know is that people, not just one person, uh, a chorus of people mm. are writing in that file. Yeah. And what you also don't know, what you also know is that you don't know what's in it. Yeah. So, in the space between the reality of what the file is and what's in your own imagination, mm. it becomes a monster. Yeah. So I was genuinely sick. My file was on a PDF. And <laughs> it was sent in it was a PDF that was sent in an encrypted email. I thought email wasn't encrypted anyway. But yeah. it was sent in an encrypted email that I got, and then I got an email with the password for the encrypted email. So all of this extra layers of like voodoo mm. hyped it yeah. up and hyped it up. And I opened it into PDF. And there were some scans of doctor's appointments. Yeah. And the thing that, that um, upset me the most is how little it was there. Yeah. 
Wayne was there for 18 years. That's 18 years of stuff. <laughs> yeah. This is the stuff that my foster parents sent to you. Yeah. Where's the stuff about yeah. you? Where's the handover notes from different social groups? Yeah. About 30 social groups. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. We can't find it. And that's sad in a way. Yeah, isn't it is it? Really You're sad. like, actually, I, I do exist yeah. in this system. Yeah. And you've just not got it. <laughs> and even if it just said, yeah, fine. Yeah. You know, it would be great. Yeah. But so. You're kind of like, well, okay, let's let's be clear about this. My my journey through care was good, mm. but yeah, you still lost almost. Yeah. So what happens if I had been going from pillar to post? Yeah. If I had gone to thirty placements in a year, where's that stuff? And I think that's the thing that um, is 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 awful, really. The the number of young people we've met, and we say hi, and they say hi, we would love on. Because they're used to a transaction where people know stuff about them yeah. that they don't know themselves. Yeah. That sucks. That's yeah. not right. It's just not cool. And there should should be some additional processes in place that protect anybody who, when they are leaving care or have left care, and they seek to get their files. Yeah. Because what there is is like, yeah, you have the right because it's freedom of information. But yeah, like Sophie. And what's ironic about Sophie is I worked with her on the project. Mm. She, I didn't know she had care experience and neither she didn't know that I had a care experience. Neither of us disclosed them to each other. Yeah. Because that's not what the project was about. Yeah. So she got her files on a, a railway station, like something out of um, John yeah. McCarran's. Yeah, like just phoned some, like wanted, wanted just, I think, not the file, but wanted, um, inf- um, basically she wanted to go to university and it was like, I think she just, and they were giving a bursary or something to kids with care experience and I think she just wanted a letter to yeah. say I was in care yeah. you were you were the, the borough that took care of it and they went, the woman was like do you want your file and she was like alright then not do you know what I mean she yeah. was like alright then but then the woman just hands her this thing this thing full of paper yeah and I think she was like 19 yeah it was like see you later and you're like what are you doing yeah well this is the thing you know um, Nemesis say spent years fighting with a local authority who said they'd lost and then mysteriously found his yeah. files and allowed him to bring his lawsuit. But the thing that um, sticks in my head about that process is him saying is him saying about the number of people who harm themselves at the point at which they get their files yeah. because of the impact of getting the file and what it means, what it does to you. And then just not seeming to be a structure for the management of that. Yeah, like my younger brother, because... We didn't grow up in the same family, but he was adopted by a different family because there was too many of us. Mm-hmm. And he wanted, to, when he, when his, um, his eldest child was born, when she was about two, she was sort of saying, Dad, uh, you're black, I'm black. Why's your mum, why's granny white? What's going on? Mm-hmm. <laughs> sort of thing. Like She'd noticed that, uh-huh. she'd noticed, and he was like, yeah, actually, I'm going to go and find this woman. So he went to the local authority and said, I want to find my birth mum. They were like, do you want to see your file? And he was like, yeah. And then he read the file and just was like, I don't like this file, actually. I don't like any of the information in it. Uh, I don't, he didn't believe any of it was true. Mm-hmm. He, he thought, it just anyway, and then he just knocked on the front door because <laughs> he had a photograph of where we used to live. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't remember living there, but he... Because he's like a few years younger than me, so when he went into care, because they had a different social worker, mm-hmm. they did um, a book 
and there was a, there was a photograph of the block of flats and the flat that we lived in, mm-hmm. and he just had this photograph that he'd had, and then he knew where we lived in South East London, and literally just walked up and down the road with this photograph. Yeah, it's not good, isn't it? It's crazy. It's, it's crazy. Like, and even though like his whole way of going about it, and I'm, I am still angry with him, but. I bump into him every now and again and mm. I just humour him. But um, it's like he had this need, like it was that need where he was like a man possessed. It's mm. like, I cannot, I need to sort this out. Mm. And he didn't think that anybody was helping him sort it out. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so it's just like, I'm just going to go off and do it myself. Yeah. And then like the blowback from that, from just various like... <laughs> biological family members who were like oh my god they're out there these children who are now grown up they're out there we found these long lost relatives and just like this whole massive wave of emotion that came Mm -hmm. and then like felt like so I was out in the country at the time I was in Australia and I remember phoning like my mum like my adopted mum like my mum and just going uh, you need to sort this out this is just chaos I cannot deal with this I'm on the other side of the world but I'm getting this needs to stop and my mum got in touch with like <laughs> the authority who who we'd been fostered with and sort of said this is going on mm. is there any advice or any help they're like no we can't really help you uh, it will calm down though <laughs> that's the only thing that we can say it's like right now it just feels very intense and it's it's but it will it calm pass. down it will cut it, it did pass but you're like is this what post-adoption support is? This is what happens Thanks. when you're an adult and when you think... Because people sort of think you get adopted and that's like that's it. Life is that. Or you leave care at 18, life is that. It's like, no, like these events will just... Mm-hmm. Things just come, mm-hmm. like as in any kind of walk mm-hmm. of life, like things will come back mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. there's no support. Yeah, the support is weird, isn't it? It's kind of... Um, so I'm a parent now. Mm. I I kind of follow this weird parallel um, thought about it, is which is if you watch a a, a woman who's pregnant, you know, she gets pregnant, um, her body does all these great things, everything's going on, right? Then she has the baby, and all the hormones and whatever, whatever, stop. Mm. So at the point in which the baby's in the world and you need lots of help. Your body's like, yeah, I've done you, you've got my job. I've helped you just eat a baby. Yeah. Away you go. And care is a bit like that. Care is all wrapped around and there's all this safeguarding, all this, and have you got that tested? Have you done this? Have you filled this form? And then they go, you're going to leave care in a bit. Bye. Yeah. Yeah. And I've, you know, I've spoken to young people who were managed to get to university and were told at the end of their graduating year, about a week before they were going to graduation, what you need to do is go and get yourself on the council list because mm. you're going to get kicked out of the accommodation that you get because you're in care and a student. Mm. And that was it. And that was like, so what? I'm going to be homeless in three weeks, four weeks' time. And the university's like, yeah. And, and, you know, to what degree it's the university's fault is another conversation. But come on. Yeah. It just shouldn't be that way. Mm. And... Normally, when you mention those kinds of things to people who are wanting to find out, who maybe don't have a care experience or an exposure to the system, and are wanting to find out about it, one of their knee-jerk responses to it is, that wouldn't happen if they were their children. Mm. Whoever this person's doing this to you, if you were their kid, their son or their daughter, that would never happen. And that's true. Mm. And so, 
a lot of the conversation mm. about, well, what should the care system be like? Yeah. Kind of rotates to the same thing. It should have the same amount of love and understanding and support in it that the so-called standard familial structure has. Mm. But I also think some of the upset and, and genuine trauma that is created about discovering about your family and getting your files and leaving care, some of that is set up because we have a completely mythical mm. perception of what a family is. Yeah, It's funny, because Lem, since I talked about, you know, the problem with being a child in care is that we highlight the dysfunction, which is at the centre of every family. Yeah. Families are dysfunctional, mm. interpersonal relationships are dysfunctional, and care makes that material. And that's true to a certain extent. I kind of, when you said it, I kind of, yeah, I hadn't thought about it in that way, but I do kind of agree with you. Yeah. And all those things, you know, your your poor relative running around with a photograph trying to mm. join the dots. Yeah. And in joining the dots, crashing into the privacy of the rest of his family and mm. opening up cans of words for him and for you without any help. Yeah. That's just... It's criminal, really. Yeah, because it's kind of my thing, because I'm sitting there thinking, like, over the last few years, kind of thinking, like, what do I, what would I like to see? So, like, sometimes in terms of, i got this thing about, so, like, over the years, I've been, I'm in an R in about adoption, and just depending on when you ask me, I'll be like, yeah, I'm all for it. And sometimes I'm like, no. Because then, but then I'll explain why either way. Mm -hmm. But um, I'm kind of thinking, and also like around like transracial adoption as well. Sometimes because I turn around and say, oh, I'm not a massive fan of it. But I'm also like, not a lot of massive fan of a lot of, it's, it's complicated. It's so complicated. And, but I also kind of think, right, at the end of the day, my mum is white and I'm glad that she's my mum. Mm -hmm. Simple fact. And I'm glad that I'm adopted. Mm -hmm. And so then people, when I turn around and say to people, I'm not really for it, and they're like, well, you're, but you've had it, why are you saying no to other people? I'm like, well, because I've grown up <laughs> and I can look at it in a different way. So <laughs> behave yourselves. Mm -hmm. But it's also that kind of thing of like, to me, the most important relationship from, in my family, really, to that I think is the most important, more important than, it's the one that I have with my brothers. Right. And I think I'm all for actually first and foremost is like sibling relationships mm -hmm. the, like maintaining those relationships i think is i think is the most important thing like if you're going to be removed mm -hmm. and taken out and all this kind of stuff is the the relationship that you have with your siblings i just think that's fundamental mm -hmm. and even though i didn't grow up in the same house as my younger brother i do know him he lived around the corner still sort of lives around the corner somewhere do you know what i mean we, mm -hmm. I, I have a relationship with him and that was through various people like just going, oh, there's more than, this is quite a big family. We need these children to kind of be in contact. Mm. So I grew up in the same house as my older brothers. That's important. And then when I sort of, but then within my younger brother's family, they didn't want him, want us as his older siblings to discuss what had happened to us as a family. Mm. So that was part of the difficulty. Mm. So they were like, we don't talk about his past life because it upsets him. It doesn't really upset him because he's asking us. Mm -hmm. He's asking the people who know mm -hmm. and who are a few years older than him and will explain in a way that's quite sensitive to the fact that he's quite a few years younger than mm -hmm. us. We're not going to give him the warts and all mm -hmm. of it all, but he's asking and we weren't allowed to tell him. Mm -hmm. So it's that kind of thing where you're not allowed to tell people certain stuff and they're asking you like, 
this will come back to haunt you. So when I'm sitting there reading and following various people on Twitter and they're like, I don't want to tell my children that they're adopted. You're like, for the love of God, tell them. Tell them as soon as possible. But they're not going to hate, they're not, it's, it's fine. Like kids are quite resilient and can, if you, if you do stuff in a way which is child-centered and all the rest of it, blah, 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 they're fine. Do you know what I mean? Just think the bottom line is that secrets are not a good idea yeah. across the board. Mm. I mean, it's, it's making me very reflective saying what you're saying. I mean, I I had a brother and two sisters. None of us were raised together. My mm. biological um, family was not raised together. And that's interesting because we know um, my uh, my brother passed away a couple of years ago, but my sisters, um, we don't know each other. Mm. We know of each other. One of my sisters is, uh, doesn't live in, in, the, in the UK anymore. But, I mean, it's all it's all very polite. But I know more about some of my work colleagues than I do about my biological family. Mm. So it's really interesting to hear about that. Actually, a sibling connection is, is a um, fundamental connection. Because yeah. it is. Mm. And like you, I was uh, transracially fostered. And... Yeah, it might depend on what day and what time of day yeah. that you ask them what my response mm. would be. I think for me, and I can only speak about it from that point of view, the thing it did give me was the kind of space for being nurtured that um, may not have been present if I'd just been in the care home system. You know, talk to people who couldn't even put posters up, mm. whose sense of identity is completely located around them because that was the only thing they had they couldn't find how to fit into anywhere because they were never anywhere for long enough yeah um it's really tough mm. um and yeah did, does that mean that i lost certain things or discovered my certain things about my ethnicity length yeah mm. but um when i when i was running and i fell over and got my knee someone came to tell me it was going to be all right Mm. And that matters too, yeah. in a different way. Um, so, if you ever found yourself in that infernal room 101 and they said, choose contact with your family or choose transracial fostering yeah. or adoption, yeah. I think I'd probably choose transracial yeah. fostering or adoption. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Because there's more scope than, again, because then you had, you had that thing where you stayed with one family as yeah, well. Yeah. You know, I stayed. We went in and out of care a few times, but when we, I'd been to, I've had two foster families, mm. and the first foster family I stayed with for a bit, and then when I went back into care, my, my older brothers were with my mum at the time, mm. and they went and were fostered by her, and then she sort of found out that I existed, and so she sort of said, if these kids ever come back into care, I will have all three of them. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. when we went back as a foster, we went back to, we went, we went to a chaos uh, biological family for a bit and that was she struggled with us and all the rest of it and then we just went back to the same foster family so we we went to the we didn't move schools that much mm -hmm. didn't like life was just really normal apart mm -hmm. from the fact that we had a white mum yeah. who yeah. who in the house was our mum and mm -hmm. everything was just like normal it's only when you leave the house yeah. and people see you as a family unit yeah. and then you just everyone just clocks you mm -hmm. and you're like stop staring mm -hmm. but they were clock they're trying to work out what's going on and you're like yeah i know what you can see mm -hmm. but you can stop looking do you know what i mean and then school i yeah. always found it tough up at school like parents evening because that was just 
because secondary school especially no one knew you because yeah. the teachers you only had a teacher for like for a year or something yeah. and and then I used to just I remember one year going around with my mum and then these because I was a bit I was a bit naughty a, a little bit <laughs> secondary didn't really do any work and um <laughs> didn't really do any work just messed about but like so I was one of those I was like just a, a bright person but lazy and was just a teacher's nightmare, really. Mm. And so whenever you used to turn up for parents' evening, they were like, oh, hello, Tanya. And then, like, this white woman would sit down next to me. You could see the look in their eyes, like, oh, I was about to lay into you, but now there's this white woman there. Now, what's going on? So, yeah. yeah, and then, like, another year, I just sent my mum around to all the teachers. Because also, like, my peers who didn't know me were like, who's that white woman? You're like, you need to go away. Mm-hmm. You cannot mm-hmm. do with this. Mm-hmm. Is, like, there were some moments where I found it so stressful like yeah. to the point of like, I think I'm just gonna die. This is yeah. such this this is not fun. Like wherever went to an all girls school and everyone's just slightly hysterical leading up to GCSEs because it's a girls' school and everyone's no one's done any work, but it's parents even. But it's also I had all of that and also the fact that my parent was completely different colour from yeah. me. Yeah. yeah. And it couldn't be explained yeah. why. Well it just means you have to go back into that routine again, that why and how. So it's funny, I Growing up in, in, in the West Midlands in the 60s, and all of the stuff that, around racism and uh, Windrush was still fresh. Mm. So, one of the things I think I did was I realised, and I, I suppose I was invited to realise by my foster parents, actually, I realised fairly early that if you were seen to be um, Faster and stronger, mm. you would survive. Mm. So, um, I lived by my wits. I think I. So, if someone, I, I made it my business. For example, I made I made it my business to find out the punchline of most of the racist jokes that were doing around us, so that when some idiot came up to try and put me down with the joke, well, if they started the joke, I knew the punchline. And I said the punchline earlier. What are you going to do? Mm. Yeah. So that thing you really used to belittle me, I knew already. What are you gonna do? And it it, it drew some of the heat away. And I hit the books hard mm-hmm. because at that I realised that if I did okay in school, um the teachers would take some of the flack away. Yeah. Um and also it was an opportunity to carve out my own identity. I realised that I went through university and didn't tell anybody that I cared to be because mm. I didn't have to. Mm. You know, the cheese and wine evenings were like, what A levels did you do and where are you from? Mm. Once you got past that first series of questions, yeah, yeah, didn't have to tell anyone. Mm. Right the way through, didn't tell anybody at all. I did an MA, didn't tell anybody. Did my PhD, didn't tell anybody. Mm. Didn't tell the people I was working with when I did my PhD until I started doing this work with young people with care experience. Yeah. And then I told them I, I disclosed I had care to be. Yeah. And they were really surprised. Yeah. But then I was like, well, I didn't tell you because no harm. You didn't need to know. Mm, so yeah. why, would, why would I have to go through the, yeah, it's not this. Yeah. And no, it's not as traumatic as Tracy Beaker. And no, it's, and all those questions. Mm. So yeah, but at school, I just didn't tell my parents about parents' evenings or whatever. I just took a letter home and signed it because I just couldn't be asked. Mm. And because I was doing okay, School didn't care. Yeah. Um, they'd send the report home. The report was all right. Sometimes it was good. Uh, 
parents would sign it, I'd take it back. Because it was like a pain. Mm. Yeah, it's, you know when you catch someone looking away when they've been looking at you? Mm. It's that mess. You look up quickly and they look down quickly and you're like, yeah, you were looking. I know why you were looking. Here we go. It's like this. And you have to tell that story. I just don't want to tell that story. Yeah. Why would you want to tell that story? Yeah. You're living it. Mm. So, yeah. Um, and it was interesting because in the research, uh, we, I did research with uh, a senior lecturer at uh, the University of New. Um, when we, set, when we set, set up the research, she was positioned as being, she's a senior lecturer in, in, in drama. And I was Sylvie. And it wasn't until we'd been working, and we talked about it, she and I, we talked about it. Um, and it wasn't until we'd been working with the group for a while that we said to each other, should we tell them? Should we, should we know what's going on? And then, A, I told them that I had a care experience. Mm. And B, I told them that I had a PhD. Mm. And what do they make of that? It's really interesting. Mm. You can see the, the gears turning. Mm. Because you are suddenly presenting them with a narrative which doesn't, yeah. Fit with the mm, expectations. Uh, yeah, with the, with yeah. the profile. Yeah. Mm. So they're like, oh right. I'm, I love young people. I love the fact that they are really savvy and work really hard to protect their sense of self. So watching that gear check with, oh, oh yeah, that's fine. <laughs> and it's that quick. Mm. And it's lovely. Um, but I think it's. I'm, I'm not in any way trying to infer that, like, because I've had a care experience, I know what's going on for you. I haven't got the first mm. idea. But I've got a window into the world. And I think it's important in that window into the world to um, allow them to be curious and reflective about where that world's going to lead to. Because they will have been told all of the stuff that's negative. Mm. They will have been told care experience, people end up in prison or on mm. the streets or in yeah. sex work or this or that. And they do, some do. Yeah. But that doesn't mean it's a given. Mm. So even when trying to share this practice with others and talking about the potential for mm. challenge that sits around it, how you position that. So you're not saying care experience people are this. Mm. You're trying to say, I'm trying to say, because a care experience can do lots of stuff, this can happen, which is different from will. And I think for people without experience of the system, that's difficult mm. because they have a constant diet of Charlie care did this, blah, 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 blah. And I think the noise of that is loud. Because at the moment, the stories are, no, in the last couple of weeks, it's about um, county lines and kids in um, kind of children's homes. And you're like, yeah, yeah. But also it's like, why are we always talking about kids in care mm -hmm. always negatively? Mm -hmm. Seeing like you said, there's seventy odd thousand kids in care. That's a lot of. That's a lot of, you know, under 18s and all of that can't be negative. Mm -hmm. It can't be. It just can't be. Yeah. And isn't. Yeah. And it, and it's difficult because the maybe is it a popular culture thing? It it seems to be that that society kind of likes a binary. Either you are a nightmare and you're languishing in care. Or you're a superhero mm. and you've slashed care. And I can see why both narratives exist. Mm. But maybe it's just you're a being and you were in care mm. and now you're not. Yeah. And that's going to do stuff. But like, 
being third child in a family does stuff. Yeah. You know, being raised by one parent does stuff. Being raised by your grandparents and their biologically related to you does stuff. Mm. Growing up does stuff mm. to you and to the people that raise you. So attaching an additional charge to the fact that because you were raised by people whose relationship to you is different mm. shouldn't be the assumption. Because, mm. yeah, growing up does stuff. Mm. I know what Philip, Philip Larkin thinks of it, I can't say. But, um, you know, um, it messes people up, yeah. growing up. Yeah. So I think it's it's trying to offer those young people in care or coming up through care, leaving care, a sense of how they orient themselves. What's the alignment here, okay? If, if I had a nightmarish journey through the care system, but I'm still standing, how, what am I doing? How am I carrying on? If I had a really good uh, um, uh, journey through care, what do I do? Do I need to shout about it? Yeah. What, what, what are my choices? I think that's significant. Um, I think we would be doing the wider society a favour if we got away from the Oliver Twist. Yeah. Please, sir, can I have some more narrative of care? Um, because it triggers a sense of um, sympathy, which isn't always predict, uh, productive. Oh, you're in care. Oh, you. And I understand why. And there's a lot of good reasons why that should be the case. But is that a default go-to? Should it be a default go-to? There are lots of people who have not had anywhere near experience of care, whose lives have been traumatic as they grew up. Mm. You don't get the oh, oh, let's not talk about it. Ness mm. around them, and they do all right. Some of them don't do all right, but some people who grew up in a nuclear family with all the support in the world don't do all right. So what can you do? Stop having children. <laughs> Let the species just die out. That's what I'm getting at all along. It's time for humans. To, we're done. We've done our bit. Just let it go. Just let mm. the species go. It's already out of our hands, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Sea levels are rising. Yeah, yeah. It's getting too hot. That, yeah. that ship has sailed. Yeah, it does. I don't know. Stop. No more children. Thank you. Yeah. Quit. I don't know if we've got any more questions to no, ask. No. I think we've done it. Yeah. Have you got anything that you'd like to say? Or do you think I should ask you what you can do with it? <laughs> I think. I think it's doing this, doing the podcast is part, for me, is part of a, uh, an alternative journey where I start to think about being slightly more bullish about talking about my care experience, mm. you know? Um, I'm an academic, I work in a, in a university, and I've been mulling over putting the fact that I have a care experience on my profile. Mm. Because I'd love it to be there, because I'd love care experience, potential students to go, Oh, there are people like yeah. me at university. Because, you know, one of the horrible statistics is about the number of care experienced students uh, or young people who don't get to university mm. versus their more stably oriented peers. So I think it would be great. But I, I'm also slightly nervous of how that would be then leveraged off mm. in a way that might not be productive. Well-meaning, but might not be productive by institutions and stuff. Yeah. So I'm still the boat is the jewelry's the boat. The jewelry is still out of that. 
Mm. Talking about votes because of climate change. Um, <laughs> the jury is still out on it. But I think maybe if my my if there was a wish, if if I, if I was a, a, a divine being mm-hmm. and, I, and I had that power, that um, some of the emotional charge around a care experience would be taken away, mm. so that people go, oh, in the way that they might go, oh, I'm left-handed, yeah, oh, I'm dyslexic, mm. oh, I've got care experience. People go, oh, yeah, oh, I'm six foot ten, oh, oh yeah. you know, yeah. it's a thing, but not a big thing. Okay, it's a big thing for six foot ten, but. You know, it's, it's not a big deal, or doesn't need to be that big deal. Ironically, unless it needs to. Yeah. Um, because then I think one of the things I'm mulling over, I wouldn't finish the sentence, but that seems weird. But one of the things I'm mulling over is, you know, do you know that they wrote a, a, an adult sequel to Tracy Beak? Yeah. Okay, so oh, yeah. Jackie Wilson wrote possibly, yeah. She's she wrote got like a child now. She's a single parent, yeah, yeah. And it caused a storm, yeah. Because they're like, "Why is she a single parent?" And I'm still mulling it over. Mm. I'm thinking, uh, thinking, thinking about what would have happened if if Tracy Beaker was fashioned. And on one hand, as as a, as a writer, I can see why that wouldn't necessarily fit the narrative. But on another hand, on a bigger agenda. The space that Ms. Beaker takes up in the zeitgeist. Mm-hmm. I think it would have been great if she was the um, chief executive of a Fortune 500 company yeah. and had uh, a partner and children of her own. Mm-hmm. I think that would have been really interesting. Mm-hmm. Not my call. Yeah. Didn't create the character. Yeah. But, you know, Oliver Twist is never going to be a sequel. So it would have been good to find a way to keep restating narratives that aren't just the negative one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm done. I think we can do that. Thank you very much, Sylvan. That was a brilliant chat. Thank you for coming through to me. Thank you for the opportunity to do it. Thanks for listening to the Loco Parentis podcast. I've been Twana May. See you soon.